The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. Right. Uh, we think we were there's lots happening off the air. I want to uh, introduce my listen, you two. <laughs> I've never had a string of words that I'm not going to be able to pronounce in an introduction <laughs> this bad in my so so I, my guests today are Jen Bikey Blakeney. Oh, you nailed it. it. You nailed it. Nailed it. Uh and okay. Whew. Lindsay Dollar More Youssef. Oh my God, Bob. I'm impressed. What? What? It's almost like Erica put the phonetic spelling of your only, only More Youssef, though, is the only one. I I get the rest of them I got on my own. I'm still impressed. She's crafty as hell. She finds, she. She has all kinds of info. It's probably going to shock you and scare you a little bit. <laughs> that was great, actually. And these two uh, lovely ladies uh, host the Corpus Delicti. Oh, he got it. He got it. Don't <laughs> don't argue with that. There's a huge debate. If it's like any other Latin word in the legal field, there's half the country that pronounces it one way and half that pronounces it the Bingo, other. Bingo, you nailed is that, it. Is that the case with and this? And we are just as split as the rest of the country. We have talked to lawyers, we have talked to Latin professors, and they all have a different take because it is a legal term, which is why we ask lawyers, and it is a highly debated controversy to this day. <laughs> so, and it seems like the two of you disagree. We do. Yes. We do. Okay. So, which one of you is delicti and which one is delicte? Well, I'm corpus delicti. 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 Okay, delicti. There is no – I just made up delicte then. That's not even one of the options. <laughs> so, it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the growing controversy of delicti versus delicti. Um, and, okay. you know, we, when we picked our podcast name four and a half years ago, we were like, oh, that's a really interesting term. It – has some, you know, legal meaning, it relates to crime, but we didn't think about the marketing side. We didn't really think of that aspect. But now it actually (laughs) kind of works for us because we have listeners who are team delicti or team delicti. And and they're all delicti. Kind of make it fun. Yeah. And we call them delictables. So it's kind of fun now. Oh my goodness. So one of the things that that Erica wrote in my notes is that I didn't even let I thought it said they call their fans delectables, but it's delectables. Delectables, but it's a play right, on delectables. Right, I figured that much. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they came up with it in our chat group. Yeah. That uh, because we weren't even going to nickname them or whatever, and then it became a thing in the podcast world a couple of years ago, and that's when a discussion just kind of happened organically in the group, and that's what they named themselves. So we just roll with it. Yep. The delectables. Yep. 
my audience calls them well the, the, this listening to this show is the is the bingers the true crime bingers perfect and then i have the truth and justice army nothing is clever audience actually <laughs> um my audience as delectables i feel like you can do better you know not my people <laughs> not your people your people did great my people are like, oh, true crime binge. We can make true crime binge-ers. <laughs> they literally just added binge-ables. How about that? We'll just yeah. merge and them. I think it was Pam Westby, the, the creator of our fan page, that, that came up with that. Uh, so let's, let's do better, Pam. Come on. <laughs> Jeez, Pam. <laughs> Joking. Yeah, come on, Pam. So yeah, uh, right before – so uh, there, was, there was chaos right when we were starting the show. We're doing a rare evening recording. I just got – you guys are both down in you're, – you're both near Birmingham, yes, Alabama? Yes, we're in Birmingham. In Birmingham, yeah. So I'm in Michigan, and my phone was blowing up because both my son and my sons and my daughter's school are canceled tomorrow because we have a massive. Bl- it's 46 degrees and raining right now, and I just walked out to the studio. But oh, wow. apparently, we're supposed to get like that's supposed to turn into like freezing rain and then like feet of snow. Oh my gosh! So that was happening. My lovely 17 year old son Quentin called and and got to say hi to the ladies, uh, wanting to know if. Uh, we were, as he put it, going to have anything good for dinner or if he should stop and get some fast food, which is what he lives on. Fast food. Uh, After I heard the menu, fast food. Rude. Fast food, yeah. yeah beef stroganoff, <laughs> that's just, sounds good to so, me. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's where I was going. You, you sounded like, Jen, that you are highly opposed to beef stroganoff. Um, explain yourself. Why are you wrong about that? I, <laughs> I have never had a good beef stroganoff. Maybe so it's because, maybe there's a good one out there. Well, maybe. Well, I used to back in uh, right after college work in the hotel industry, and one of the chefs there, Chef uh, Ignong, he cooked. That was his dish. He was from um, Iceland, and that's what he cooked. And he made me like this massive, you know, plate because he knew I was like living on my own, scraping by mm-hmm. one bedroom apartment. And he made it for me, and you know, he was so excited about it, and I tasted it, and I was like. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll just go to Milo's. I appreciate it. <laughs> what is what is Milo's? Oh, bless it. Oh, see, we forget sometimes. <laughs> is, it, is that a bless my heart moment? You know, it was. Really you, yeah. <laughs> Milo's is this, it's a fast food restaurant. It, it only sells hamburgers on the side chicken fingers. But it's a hamburger with pickles and Milo sauce. That's it. That's all they sell. There's no it's lettuce. it's kind of like a barbecue sauce, sort of. But it it's is sort of, better. It, it is. And they always give you that little extra piece of meat. It's like a hamburger patty and a little piece of meat. And it's the best hamburger you will have in the South. Definitely an Alabama thing, I think, yeah. clearly. Yeah, I've never even heard of it. Is it is it a Southern thing? I spent a lot of time. It must be just Alabama. Maybe. I is, is I've it? never seen one outside of Alabama. I've never seen one outside of Birmingham. I will say that. But there's three in Birmingham that are always packed out, lined out. Now, they sell their tea. Everywhere. So, and their okay. tea is, um, if you've never had sweet tea, I would not suggest it. You will go into a coma. I, I've had. Yeah. It, it's, I always go sweet tea when I'm down south. Yeah. I spent years working in, in Texas. And Texas would say that your Milo burger has nothing on a Whataburger. We Whataburger. have Whataburgers. And mm. I, okay. In so my, much. in my opinion, they are, they are on an equal playing ground. We can't be friends anymore. I've had some pretty good Whataburgers. <laughs> yeah. Now tell me again, the Milo burger, it's it's just a patty with pickles. 
Maybe and some cheese. Some sort of secret sauce. Oh, no, the yeah. cheese is pretty good too. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I don't eat fast food except for Milo's. Milo's is my, my. It must be the best then. My wife makes, so our beef stroganoff, she makes a, like a paleo version of beef stroganoff and it's delicious. I don't, I think there's wine in it or something. Oh. I don't know what she does. I wasn't a lot of, so my wife uh, is a, is a beach body coach, but she's just, she has a, her like best friend just took over teaching at the school she used to work at. And she is now convinced my wife to substitute teach because they're hurting for substitute teachers. So today is my wife's first day back to work. Oh. Uh, like outside of the home, she went and, and and taught today, and so my job was to put the crock pot from the fridge <laughs> onto the counter and plug it in. So I said I cooked dinner, um, but then she wouldn't let me put whatever the secret ingredients were at the end. On in it. our house, it's, it's delicious. It's the opposite. Neither Jen nor I can cook, so and, and it's it's better <laughs> for everyone that way. Just someone else do it. Yeah, I can make a mean frozen pizza. There's no <laughs> other person can make a best. Pizza than I can. I will say that. See, and and Becky is a great cook, terrible at frozen pizzas, which, you know, it happened tonight because when we make something like a paleo beef stroganoff, the children won't eat, as you heard with Quentin, <laughs> my, my oldest, uh, that he won't eat it and none of the others will eat it too. So there was a frozen pizza along with it, which got burnt while we were enjoying our beef stroganoff. That's me right there. I feel that. <laughs> But she, well, the sad part is I can cook. I, I haven't cooked in years. Becky and I have been together for 11 years now. I was a fireman. I cooked at the, I cooked for mass amounts of guys. You know, I was worked at a station with nine guys. So I can cook very well. In my first marriage, I was the cook and my wife never cooked, my ex-wife. And then when Becky and I got together, she doesn't let me in the kitchen. So I don't even know if I remember how to cook anymore. I only get to grill. That's the only time I get to cook. That works. That works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But that might change now that she's she's back to working outside the home again. That'll do Came it. Home after the grind, wanting to put her feet up. That'll do it. Yep. She doesn't like my cooking though because it's not all fancy. She doesn't. I can't make chili because my chili has beans in it. That's isn't it supposed to have your, beans? your guys' thoughts? Be, beans or no beans in chili? I don't know. I, it makes it both ways, and it's it both is really good. I'm not a bean person, but. I, I apparently am under the impression that chili is supposed to have beans. Now, now if you go, to, I know if you go to Texas, they would say otherwise. Oh, maybe I'm a Texan yeah, at heart. Could, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you, well, be, the people in Texas, I've heard the ones that I know from Texas say that chili doesn't have beans in it. Hmm. And so what I make is between not chili. that and the Whataburger being equal with Milo's, maybe I do belong in Texas. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> you guys are pretty, you're not that far away. All right. So other than our eating habits, uh, getting to know you guys a little bit, I'll start with, with Jen. So you, you guys both are in Birmingham. Are you from Birmingham? No, I'm originally from Vallejo, California. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So how did you end up in Alabama? Uh, my mom and dad are Navy. So uh, okay. we were on the Navy base for a little bit, and then I got to travel around and uh, they flipped a coin. My mom is from Boston, and my dad is from Alabama. And they flipped a coin, and my mom lost. <laughs> so <laughs> I did uh, most of my schooling in Alabama, so that's the accent. But every now and then, I use a few Yankee terms and words that I just grew up with. It's just a slip of Yankee terms. Yeah. I feel like, like that was degrading to me up here in my snow. Like <laughs> garbage and box. For some, that is ingrained <laughs> oh, so- in my head. <laughs> 
not just Yankee, but like the but like northeastern Boston. Those accents. Boston. Yeah. So does your your uh does your mom do, does she not pronounce her R's? I have a friend that's from Boston. We make fun of him all the time. <laughs> she does not. And um she has yet to lose her northern accent and when she talks to her sister, whew, it gets super thick. Now, I, when I get married like oh five, oh eight, somewhere around there, my aunt flew down and did the readings. You don't know when you got married. <laughs> Tell us, Bob. <laughs> so long ago. You just gave a three-year window for when you got married. <laughs> it's written down somewhere. She's waiting on you. Come on, Bob. We, yeah, both of us missed the anniversary. It's just like, oh, crap, that was last week. Uh, but she came down for the readings for the ceremony. And, like, everybody just kept looking around going, what the hell is she saying? Nobody understood yeah. her. <laughs> Jen's name is actually not Jennifer. It's Jennifer. Yeah. Jennifer. Jennifer. Yeah. yeah. Jennifer. It ends with an A. It does. <laughs> My buddy Brian, whenever we go out and, and well, a lot of times we'll end up playing a game, a, di- uh, a marble game that we play with that group all the time. We're like, Brian, why don't you go get the cards? Bring the cards <laughs> out here to play the marbles. Oh, yeah. So, uh, okay. So now. Erica didn't didn't dazzle me with how long you've been married. Um, I, I I do know that you're a runner and you have a 13 year old dashhound. So yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually have a marathon uh, next Sunday <laughs> that I've been training. Next, a marathon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Uh, it, and you're 13. Isn't that kind of old for a wiener dog? It, 13 years old. She's not old. She's <laughs> she's vintaged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel you. We have we have two German shepherds and a puppy German short hair pointer, and one of our shepherds is now nine years old, and he's kind of. I, I refuse to admit that he's old. He's getting gray on his face, and he kind of creaks when he gets up and up and down. But your your uh, your dashhound doesn't have far to go to get up off the ground. No, um, in fact, she pretty much stays on the ground all the time now. And this dog is going to refuse <laughs> to leave this earth because every time I have been to her house, they're like, here, would you like a T-bone steak? Would you like a rack of lamb? Like they feed this <laughs> it dog was a fillet. food. <laughs> it was a filet. And you gave your dog a filet? Yes. Okay, so we know the butcher. Multiple times. We know the butcher. And he's super sweet. <laughs> okay. He is like fifth generation. And every time we go, we stock up and we always ask, you know, just throw in a little bit of extra and we'll grill it up and get it all seasoned for her. She's 13 years old. God bless her. Let's love her, live out her remaining days in the most comforting, pampered way because she has been the world's <laughs> most amazing dog to us and the kids. She deserves a little happiness. This was four years ago when I met her and it's still happening. They're like, oh, these are her last days. <laughs> but she was still spry. And- <laughs> She's a puppy. Like, <laughs> I feel you though, but we used to, we used to always with the, with the shepherds, they always got table scraps, but they were, they were good. They would, they would never beg. They would just always make sure they sat close to the table That's and then they'd does. get scraps and then they'd get to lick the, lick the plates. But then our our old German short haired pointer that we had that we had to put down this past year, she one time we had a friend over and we didn't so this is a whole story if my audience knows it but the dog adopted us it was the neighbor's dog they let run free we have a dog door they kept her outside in the kennel she came through our dog door slept in our bed and became our dog oh. but we didn't know her history and we had a friend over and I had made steaks on the grill and we were sitting there eating and she just gave her a piece of her steak 
And then a little while later, poor Mackenzie's face was swelled up and she was like allergic to something. Oh, no. We almost no. killed that dog so many times. Like just with stuff like that. Oh, but that's <laughs> it. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm with you. Yeah, our dog. We, now we, we're trying to turn over a new leaf with the new puppy and teach him good habits. Good luck. So, yeah. So we're not giving any table scraps anymore, much to the chagrin of the shepherds. Because so is the no puppy a shepherd? Scraps. What's the puppy? No, the puppy is the pointer. Oh, okay. The little, okay. Little, okay. little bird dog. Oh. Uh, little compared the one of the shepherds is like 110 pounds so they're they're big dogs yeah yeah he's a big boy yeah, yeah. unfortunately weagle is more like 20 pounds <laughs> easier to move around <laughs> she waddles yeah <laughs> um i also know uh creepily that you bought a new house last year erica where did you find can we get access to whatever you used? <laughs> <laughs> she scopes people out like when she i'm does. getting ready to do an interview She'll fly. She gets, She has a big travel budget. She flies to Alabama and sits outside your Sweet. house, checks your okay. mail, you know. You, uh, hey, come on in. We'll feed you. You don't have to sit out there. It's too hot. We'll give you Milo's. Yeah, yeah no stroganoff um, for you. It was an ordeal, though. It was definitely an ordeal. Like, we moved in in the middle of July. Stupid us. We were in here a week. The air conditioning went out. My husband gets COVID. And we did an episode, was it a year ago, Lindsay? Uh, we covered like some Sherlock esque case, and it and it supposedly had a curse to it. Yeah, it does. Oh wow! Because ever since then it happened, and I was like, Lindsay, we are never mentioning Sherlock again. This is horrible. But yeah, we we moved uh, into this new house uh, in July, and we've been loving it. Just absolutely, I get my own little office, so definitely. A I was pro. gonna say like. Is it even because you have a nine-year-old son and a seven-year-old daughter and it's awfully – and apparently a dog that doesn't move. <laughs> but it's awfully quiet in your house. Well, yeah. Well, right now it's it's homework time for them. So my poor husband's over there doing a lot of homework. So, yeah, they – they we've been podcasting a while and, and they know um, if they ever want to see electronics again, this is quiet time. Uh, no, let's be clear. She threatens them with boarding school. It has happened on multiple blooper reels in our episodes what? where they come in and say something and she's like, you're going to boarding school if you don't get out of here. I start out very nice. Mommy's on the podcast. Please come up. Okay, you're being too loud. Y'all need to cut it out. You're going to St. Bernadette's. Done. It has escalated multiple times. I have... I've threatened my kid that that uh, my youngest Parker that I'm gonna sell him to the gypsy so many times that he looked it up. <laughs> I'm gonna do that. He looked it up. It, yeah, and it was just a, it was it was this weekend. I said if you don't knock it off, I'm gonna sell you to the gypsies. And he said, Dad, the gypsies don't buy people anymore. Oh, <laughs> you burn. My my daughter would actually take me up on that. <laughs> yeah, goes, you don't see the world. She's a free she, spirit. Yeah, she has definitely got this bigger than life personality. She has never met a stranger. We were on our way to Disney. And she got the flight attendant. And for 30 minutes, she would not let this flight attendant go. And finally, she was like, did you want to come meet the pilot? And I'm like, that poor pilot. That poor pilot. But literally, (laughs) she has never met a stranger. She's going to be a podcaster when she gets older. She's going to be a judge. She likes to talk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, now Lindsay... um, I happen to know uh, that you were born in Mississippi, where you lived until you were 13, and then you moved to Virginia in the seventh grade. 
My God, Bob. We are hiring Erica. I got to go. It. This is awkward. No, she's the best. <laughs> like, she's too good of a researcher where I'm literally uncomfortable half the time knowing the things I know. I'm Me too. Like, yeah. So you lived in Virginia after seventh grade, and, and then now you live just outside of Birmingham. Uh, and you have two sons who are in a band. True or false? Uh, mostly true. Um, my older son is in a band. My younger son is newer and still learning and practicing and finding his groove. He is well on his way. Mm-hmm. Uh, my older son is a ridiculous musician. Um, we We don't know where it came from. He can sit down and listen to a song and play it either on guitar, piano, drums, or bass. Take your pick. Oh, wow. Um, very, very talented. And the younger one is starting to follow in his footsteps, which is pretty awesome. And which is horrible for Lindsay because both of them are as cute as a button, which means you're going to have groupies. Yeah, there's... How old are they? Uh, my oldest just turned 13 and the younger one is nine. So both of you haven't been through the teenage years yet. No, but I will say no. my oldest, my oldest, he's there. He doesn't realize he's there, but he's there. See, my son, I have no worries about. He He's not going to go through that teenage thing. That's what. Oh, sure. sure. That Well, okay. Sure and that's why I say Jacob, my oldest, doesn't realize he's there, but he's there. He will tell us, I'm not going to be a typical teenager. I'm not going to get into trouble. I believe that he will not get into trouble, but his sarcasm and his smart mouth is mm-hmm. 100% there. So it's fun. That's my the, my son that you heard on the phone earlier. <laughs> yeah. that, that's him. Like None of the kids are ever in trouble. We have four, I have two and my wife has two, so we have four all together um, in the better schools. That's how the math works. And and none of them are ever in, in trouble, yeah. but but Quentin is he has his daddy's smart ass <laughs> attitude all the time. As you heard him go, I'm what he said. I'm sorry for interrupting your interview with Bob Ruff of the Truth and Justice podcast. <laughs> well, when he it's smart funny because when he said that he sounded like mine. He sounded like Jacob, and I was like, hey, <laughs> I get it, man. <laughs> he little shit. Took it, and it, it, so somehow I've become like a meme in their school, uh, all through the high school. That it's always he call, he refers to me as Bob Ruff of the Truth and Justice <laughs> podcast, never as his dad. So now they all do, all his friends do it when I go to the school. And then a few weeks ago, I get this Facebook message from somebody I went to high school with, I haven't seen in years, asking me for my address. And I'm like, just ask what, Erica. What? I mean, yeah, she knows right. everything. <laughs> Erica will tell you. I'm like, I'm like, what do you need my address? Like, she's, this person's not inviting me to a wedding. I haven't seen him in 25 years. And they're like, sorry, my niece needs to, needs to take a selfie with you. All, what ended up happening was Quentin's teacher assigned for extra credit an assignment for students to find Bob Ruff of the Truth and Justice <laughs> podcast in a, as, as part of a scavenger hunt and take a selfie with me. I went, to, I, took the, I went downtown. I live in a small town. And there was literally a kid downtown holding a sign that said, are you Bob Ruff of the Truth and Justice Stop. podcast? Oh, my God. Hoping to run into me to take a picture with me. Oh, bless. Did you do it? Uh, no, I just <laughs> drove by. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't know. At that point, I didn't know. I, all I thought was, what the hell is happening? <laughs> Why is there a teenage girl downtown with a sign looking for me? So I just Yeah, you might want to stay driving. away from that one. That was me, Bob. Yeah. I'm offended. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sorry, I, I drove right past you. So, so you guys, what did you guys do professionally before you started the podcast? So we both worked or slash work in banking, and in about gee, when was it, Jen? About 2016. I don't ask me dates. <laughs> Apparently, she had this. She doesn't even know when she was her. married. Yeah, she doesn't know. <laughs> it's been years. Uh, <laughs> We're good. <laughs> long story short, we worked for the same company, and she hired me. She interviewed and hired me. Jen was my boss, and we quickly bonded over our passion for true crime. And this was right about the time when podcasts were really starting to get huge, and we would. We listened to everything together and we would talk about the cases and we always joked about one day we'll have our own. You know, we can't do it now because you're my boss, but one day we'll we'll have our own. And when she left that role and was no longer my boss, that's when we were like, ah, we joked about it, but let's do I didn't it. get let's fired. Happens. Yeah, I didn't get <laughs> fired, by the way. Sounds to me like Jen got fired. She got fired. <laughs> Totally yeah, <laughs> well, I still work there. So does that count? Right. Different role, we, same company, but yeah. And so you guys both still work at the same company? We do. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. I just remember Lindsay coming in for the interview. Seriously, stop it! Thank that's you. The, that's the dog. The dog wants. She's to sneezing, y'all. That's a sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> She's good. I've, She's good. Trust she, me. She okay, did. Okay. Seems like maybe something you might want to have looked at, but whatever. <laughs> she good. See, she's still breathing. She good. Um, so when Lindsay walked in for the interview, I was like, okay, maybe she'll work out. You know, she's got a lot of energy. And then half the interview were talking about murderers and true crime. And I'm like, mm-hmm. she can roll. Let's do this. And then. It, I think it was like the second day after I left that position, she shoots me a text. She goes, so when are we going to do this? I said, come over Sunday night. Let's let's roll. <laughs> let's do it. I got, Sweet. I got curious. We had always joked about it and just been like, oh, man, we could like we would be awesome at this. And literally the day she left, I was like, I wonder what it would take. And I spent some time Googling. Not much, mind you. Um, oh, it was mm-hmm. a disaster. And, it was a disaster. And, and we we just jumped in and we didn't know what we were doing at first and it took us a long time to find our footing but four and a half years later i would i would say it worked out (laughs) that's everybody though and that you know i i love the stories of like just the independent creators like you guys that just did it because the industry is getting really taken over a lot in a lot of ways by big companies and and my producer mike said this years ago he's like you know how long do you think this goes because there was kind of like you know, we started in 2015, um, and for like four or five years, it was like the day of the independent content creators. Like we all took to podcasting and started doing this, and then it's like oh, it didn't take long before iHeart got into it, and Spotify got into yep. it, and Amazon is now into it, and and it's like so many. Sh- and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's just so many shows that I talk to that are, you know, it's just like the TV process. Like I pitched my show idea to iHeart, and they took it and they produce it, so. It's just it's cool for me to to meet people that are just just started and do it still on their own because there's there seems to be less and less of us. Yeah, there, there really is. But you know, there's you know times in our Facebook group or in our um, actually at the end of our podcast, you know, we talk about other podcasts. If mm-hmm. we ask, you know, who are you listening to? Who are you interested in? 
And it's a huge group conversation like, oh, I just listened to this one. This one's really good. And this is how I found, you know, three of mine that I really, truly love. And it doesn't have to be just true crime. You know, there's definitely like mm-hmm. American history tellers or American scandal, which are a couple of my favorite. But it's definitely an all-inclusive conversation that we have. You know, we love supporting independents. We're friends with a lot of them. We had a mm-hmm. uh, true crime pod fest. What was it? A couple of years ago before COVID got hit hard. And, you know, we're still friends with like Moms of Murder and Trace Evidence. So those are some really cool guys and gals over there that, you know, we still hang out with, still talk to. We did a live show with Moms of Murder. And Melissa is absolutely amazing. We love her and Mandy. Yeah, it's just a whole world out there that you get access to. Um, You know, there's, there's stuff out there that is produced and has this huge financial backing, but there's stuff out there that's just as good that's just two friends, you know, with with some free time who need an outlet and this right. is their passion. So without a million dollar advertising budget. Oh, definitely not. Everywhere. Yeah, that would be awesome <laughs> yeah. though, wouldn't it? <laughs> definitely not. Our merch would yeah. be a whole bunch cooler. Yes. It really would be. <laughs> Well, I'll have to have Erica get with you guys and, and hook us up with Moms and Murder if you guys have that. Yeah. That's a lo- how a lot of the mm-hmm. you know the guests we have here, there's just kind of this, you know, someone knows someone and we just keep yeah. on, on rolling with all the degrees of separation. Because uh, we're the same way. I mean, that was kind of the idea behind the show is to support those independent creators um, and all creators. Are you guys, guys going to go to CrimeCon this year? You know, undetermined at this point. Every year we say we're going to try to. Um, obviously, the past two years has been a little... Hard to gauge. Um, So we'll see. We'll see. Is that the one in Atlanta this year? No. It's at- Vegas. Yeah. Vegas. See, you don't want to take me to Vegas. (laughs) But I do. (laughs) It's the same reason why you don't take me to where they make the wine. (laughs) There's no guarantee that I'm going to leave. Poor Dallas. He would be homeless. I'd be like, hit me. Here's my mortgage. Hit me. Well, I'm curious how it's going to shake out because it's a blat. Like, I got th- there are years I hem haw about going because it ends up being kind of an expensive trip by the time you're all done with it. Because usually I'm taking not just me, but either Mike or Zach with me, and it just it, there's a lot of expense that goes into it. But then every year I end up deciding I want to go because it's all all the true crime podcasters are all there and we hang out and it's really cool too because you get to as I tell people like you don't just it's not like a convention like. Comic-Con where you can wait in a line and go take a picture with somebody. I mean, you have free access for, for, you know, for hours and hours a day where you can come up and have conversations with the podcasters that you listen to. And then, you know, we, a lot of us, we, we hang out with these people. Yeah. <laughs> like we always, yep. we always do. We, I always end up hooking up with the captain from true crime garage and we make arrangements and usually Maggie Freeling. And then we'll do, we'll announce and invite everybody to go to some bar somewhere and meet us there. And it's always, it's more fun than the conference. We end yep. up with hundreds of people yep. just hanging out and getting to know everyone. But it's going to be a little different in Vegas because we're like on the strip. So I feel like there's, because we, we always find like uh, kind of a, a quiet, quieter bar that's big. And I don't know if that, that exists in Vegas on the strip. That's so we'll exactly how, that how the True Crime podcast or the True Crime podcast was, yeah. is it was all of us you know, going out and bar hopping or whatever. And then during the day, we would be up there doing the panels and all that. And then just kind mm-hmm. of, you know, doing our own thing at night. But it's a blast. Like, I oh, would it is. I would love to go to CrimeCon. 
So yeah. funny story about our last PodFest. So Lindsay and I, we get there driving through like torrential rain, whatever. And we get to the hotel and, you know, we're meeting up with uh, Trace Evidence and we're, we're, there's a big group of us just hanging out, having drinks at the bar. And Lindsay just elbows me and she goes, hey, guess who just walked in? I was like, who? She goes, Mike Morford. And I went, my time to shine. So I have had the biggest crush professionally on Mike Morph and <laughs> professionally. And so I feel Lindsay's so bad for him because I mean, like he's this, he's like this tall, you know, linebacker looking man. And all of a sudden, out of his perspective, here comes the little 52105 little girl running through the bar and just tackles him. And he, and he gets, like, she get, jumped on him. <laughs> And had goes, you had a few drinks at that point, or was that just the way you usually greet people? Both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Of both. And, and he goes, "Oh, you must be Jen." <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's awesome. Like, See, I got to meet. I got to meet my podcast crush. Did you? At, Who was it? At CrimeCon a few years ago, I was so excited. David Ridgen. Oh yeah, That's a good one. He he is like my all time favorite true crime podcaster of all of them out there. And I like, I know a ton of them and love so many, but David Ridgen was there a couple of years ago and I just couldn't wait to go talk to him. I'm not going to lie, Bob. I'm a little excited about this because I'm a big truth and justice fan. <laughs> I started listening to yours when uh, Adnan was getting really big and you kind of paired up yeah. with that mm-hmm. kind of grouping. And that's when I started listening. So, I mean, it's been a few years. I'm so glad you guys both said that because you guys were talking about all the podcasts you listened to and you hadn't mentioned mine. <laughs> Sorry. It was starting what's, to what's hurt name, my feelings. Sir? Can you repeat that? <laughs> Which one of the seven are we talking about? <laughs> no, truly. Like, I, oh. uh, especially the um, West Memphis Three coverage was absolutely phenomenal because that's kind of my pet case and um, one of the reasons why I got into true crime. And um, it, it's, you did a, an amazing job. Still are. Well, th- thank you so much for that. I'm going to be talking about that at CrimeCon. Oh, good. Okay. So another reason for you guys to come. I would love to. Let's do it. So so the podcasts, Corpus Delicti or Delicti, <laughs> depending on Which how you want to pronounce to. <laughs> it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so what is it? Because you guys do things a little different. You, you put out, it's not like in every week just doing episodes all the time. You kind of put out series. On, on cases. So how does the podcast work? We try to keep to a weekly schedule, but we're not set to it. If things happen, like COVID hits the house or Disney, or Lindsay goes to Disney for the 10th time in the year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we do take little pauses, but Gates we do have a series. <laughs> so we blocked it in series. And so like our current series is we're talking about Groups that kill, and it doesn't have to be a married couple. It could be friends. It could be cousins. It could be mother-daughter teams. And then we did a whole series about cruise ships, about how mm-hmm. people tend to disappear a lot from cruise ships. And we so call it dark waters. Yeah, it's not necessarily that we go in specific seasons, but it, we just focus on a certain type of crime for however long. We'll spend a month mm-hmm. or two saying, you know, here's unsolved cases or cases just in Alabama or whatever it may be, just to kind of get a targeted focus. Because there's 
there's so much out there that we found ourselves saying, what do we talk about? What do we focus on? Whose stories do we really hone in on right now? And that's where we kind of said, well, let's do a little bit of everything and just take a targeted approach. And that's been working for, we've been doing that probably for about three years now. Yeah, because you guys started your podcast sometime between 2011 and 2018, right? <laughs> sometime in the past millennium. I don't know. <laughs> I'm never living that down. I'm never living that down. Uh, but it we'll was July 2017. I will never forget. <laughs> but we will. Um, we have a lot of listener suggestions, so we keep a, a pinned thread. And we try to hit as many listener suggestions as we can. So in between mm-hmm. our series, we'll cover maybe one or two. And we've had some really good ones lately. And um, we've got some really great listeners that that really research these cases. Like our uh, Myers case was actually a listener suggestion. And this is the one that we kind of fell in a rabbit hole with. I mean, we've talked to lawyers. We actually talked to the person himself, you know, sitting on death row and kind of really worked into that case. But we never knew about it until a listener suggested it to us. Now, is that the case that we're going to be talking yes, about today? The, it is. Okay, so so that's your most that's when you're covered most recently. Not most recently. It's just it's the most passionate. I would say we covered it. We started it right about February of last year, and again, it okay. was a listener suggestion. Somebody messaged us and said somebody needs to look at this. Something is not right here. Um, nobody has really covered this case. And we got to looking at it. And it was one of those where once you see it, you can't look away. You can't pretend that it doesn't exist or that you don't, you know, whatever it is. And that was that was last February. And we ended up doing um, a five-part series on this case, which, you know, we normally, for the most part, we are a new case every week. Occasionally, mm-hmm. if there's something with a lot of depth, we'll dig in. But this one ended up being a five-part series because there was just so much to talk about and so much wrongdoing that I consider this kind of our our passion project. I, I don't know what the correct term would be. Well, it's close to home, right? It's an Alabama case. Yeah. The series was called Road to Redemption. Yeah. Uh, and it's the case uh, – Rocky Myers is a guy. He's a, he was a 53-year-old intellectually disabled black man who's now on death row for a crime that it's very likely he didn't commit. So why don't you guys go ahead and break the break down the basic beats of this case? You want to take uh, it, Lynn? Yeah, I'm going to take it. So it's in 1991, Decatur, Alabama. So there's a small portion of the town. It is called Cracktown. It is just a very rundown part. Um, there was a 60-year-old woman late night. We are in the South. Please Bless us. Ludie Mae Tucker. <laughs> and it was her cousin, Mammy. And her cousin was visiting her at her home. And the two had already went to sleep. It was 11 o'clock at night. And Ludie Mae heard a knock on her door. But it was well past midnight. So, you know, they're tired. And when there was a, when she went to the door, there was a man there, and he had said that he had been in an accident, in a fight, and he was injured, and he needed to use the phone to call his family. And he says, look, I am bleeding to death. I need help. Well, Mammy, our cousin, is in the room next door, and she hears this. And what's really weird is Mammy was like, my husband's over here in the next room. 
And then all of a sudden there was a scuffle, there there's an incident, and everything went quiet. So Ludie Mae Tucker answers the door. And there's someone there. She's talking like she doesn't know this person. She's like, what's going on? This person's like, I'm injured. I need to use your phone. My husband's in the room next door. Just weird scenario. So all of a sudden, Mamie Dutton is in the room next door. She gets stabbed. A man comes in her room, busts in 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 the middle of the night, and she gets stabbed. The man leaves the house, and Mamie is... Okay, she goes into the living room. She checks on Ludie Mae Tucker, who is bleeding to death. They call 911. And on the phone call, they tell 911 that a short and stocky black man robbed the house, came in, stabbed me, left, And he was wearing a white t-shirt. He might have had a plaid shirt over it, but it was a white t-shirt with blood over it. Now, keep in mind, Ludie Mae Tucker is very, very injured. She is a widow. She says, my husband is in the room next door, which is actually where Mamie was sleeping. And it's just Mm -hmm. all very convoluted right off the bat. So... When the ambulance came, they took Ludie Mae Tucker to the hospital. She died of her injuries, and Mamie Dutton survived. Now, the one thing that police notice off the bat is there was a VCR missing from the house. So they're thinking this is the motive. Somebody came from came to the door, faked an injury, said that they were hurt, busted in, stabbed both of them, took the VCR, and left. Now, a few days later, there's an anonymous call to the police. The female caller says that the night of the murder, she saw a man, and his moniker is Cool Breeze, but his real name is Anthony Ballantyne. And they see Anthony in an alley that's really not far away from the crime scene. Now, he is bleeding. He had a white t-shirt on. It had a logo, and his pants were black. And so he had wiped some of the blood on his shirt. And when she asked Anthony about that, he said that he got in a fight over drugs, slammed the car door or just a regular door on his hand. Meanwhile, the VCR is actually turned into the police. Now, there is a shot house where nearby drugs are sold. And after about hearing about the crime, somebody at the shot house said, hey, they took in a VCR that they traded for crack. So you had this scene that happened in this murder. This VCR was taken. And then just a couple blocks down the street, there's this crack house. Someone brings that VCR to trade it in for um, the drugs. Now, two other witnesses at the shot house say they saw Cool Breeze or Anthony bring in the VCR and he had blood on his shirt. Now, the way they collected the VCR, it was never properly handled because it was just taken to the police. It wasn't really evaluated about where it came from. And when they found out it came from the the shot house, they never really went to the shot house. They didn't investigate it. They just like, okay, thanks for the VCR. Let's dust it for prints. Well, Anthony is arrested right now. And they find a white shirt with a sports logo with the blood, dark pants in his laundry. And there was a knife that had broken off at the handle. Now, right now we're thinking, okay, cool. Case shut. We're done. Right. And so that is, it'd be good. So that's not. We're not talking about Rocky Myers, the guy that's the subject of the case. Rocky has not even come in yet. Anthony Cool Breeze Bellantine. That is correct, yes. And so he is arrested. 
And that everything seems pretty straightforward until that November. So then another man comes forward and he says, yeah, I was at the shot house that night or basically the crack house. And yeah, somebody did sell a VCR, but it was not Cool Breeze. It was somebody named Rocky Myers. So they bring everybody back in and they're like, we've got some differing stories here. What's going on? They bring Rocky in and Rocky says, well, yeah, I I did sell a VCR that night, which obviously looks looks very bad. So he Mm -hmm. openly admits to selling the VCR. You've got one witness who says, no, it was Rocky Myers. So they're like, why did you sell this VCR? How did, how did this happen? And he says, well, I live on an alley. There is an alley that passes right behind my house. This alley is a known drop site, if you will. People drop stuff all the time. They hide drugs here. They hide valuables. We go back there. We'll take stuff and sell it at the crack house for drugs. And that's where I found it. I was walking home from my family's house. Found it, took it to sell it, and that's what happened. Now, of course, they're not really buying this story because on the surface, mm-hmm. it sounds a little sketchy. So ultimately, Rocky is arrested and Cool Breeze is let go. But this is where things get really, really complicated with this case. So Rocky is assigned a court-appointed attor- attorney. Well, it turns out this guy is actually an attorney for the Ku Klux Klan. And he is a self-proclaimed oh. member. And there's a bunch of documentation, news articles, reports that back all of this up. And he Rocky admits bl- to it. Like he, yeah. he represented, I don't know if uh, there's an HBO documentary about um, a case where, you know, this mother took down the KKK. And this is the lawyer that represented the KKK in this case. I mean, he is out in the open member, he's proud of it. And now he's representing the black man. That is Rocky is black. Right. Yes, Um, that is correct. Now, also to to even stack against him more, the jury is 11 white people, one black person. Now, this does not represent Decatur, Alabama. I'm from North Alabama Mm -hmm. and a town maybe 30 minutes across the river from it. It does not represent this town at all. There's mm-hmm. a lot of great people there, but the geographics are wrong for this jury. And there's no one representing that specific area. It's just a the metropolitan in general. So there's really no one from the area to really represent on the jury. Well, there's also some issues with the whole process that we get really more down deep into the podcast of. So definitely hop over, listen. Now, the court had a lot of inconsistencies, too. For one, a man who originally came out and said it was Rocky and not Cool Breeze was actually a colleague of Cool Breeze's dad. He was a well-known and respected family in the town, and he had gone to the police after being urged by a PI that was hired by Cool Breeze's dad. So automatically right there, you see a dad maybe trying to protect his son and using a private investigator to pressure somebody else to make false statements. And that's the one witness against Rocky, right? At the, this point, the friend at, of this cool time, dad. at this point, yeah. yes. So then when they bring them all back in and they're questioning them again, another one says, 
I told you it was rocky all along, but the police pressured me into saying that it was Cool Breeze. Then there's another who says, it wasn't Cool Breeze. I said that it was because I was mad at him because he owed me money. And the police kind of, for lack of a better term, planted that idea in my head. And I was mad at him, so I went with it. Now, we will actually find out much later on in the case that this this person that we are talking about now, who said um, who said that it was kind of planted in his head, he had an outstanding warrant for a stolen car. And police said, we will make that go away if you can tell us what we need to know about Rocky. And so then he's like, oh, oh yes, well, it was, it was Rocky. But going back to basics, so there's, you're starting to see kind of some of the inner workings here between his lawyer and the jury and all that. But, but going back to basics, the night of the murder, Ludie Mae Tucker, keep in mind, they, they, they call 911. She says, a short, stocky, black male, white T-shirt came in, stabbed me, all that. Well, what we haven't really explored yet until we get to court is that Rocky Myers was actually Ludie Mae Tucker's neighbor. He lived directly mm-hmm. across the street from her. And they knew each other. And earlier that day, Ludie Mae Tucker had introduced Rocky to her cousin and said, hey, that's Rocky. He comes over to borrow ice sometimes. So if she knew him, why then would she? She's been stabbed in the lung. She cannot breathe. She's struggling to breathe. Why would she spend all this time saying a short, stocky, black male? Why wouldn't she just say Instead Rocky? Of just saying it was Rocky. It, right. it was Rocky. She knew him. She knew him she by could name. Even have, she could have even have pointed across the street and said him. She didn't have to say a word. She could have just pointed. And why would she have said, my husband's not home? Rocky knew that she was a widow. Mm-hmm. They knew each other. So... Because Rocky did not have in his home that he had with his family a refrigerator. And so it was a big deal for him to give his kids Kool-Aid with ice. That was their treat. That if they did really Mm -hmm. good or if something, you know, they needed to celebrate, that was their celebration. So he would walk over to Ludie Mays and get ice. And so the fact that she was trying to describe her killer or her attacker it would have been so easy for him, for her just to say, that's Rocky. And so would right. her, her cousin, because her cousin right. saw him, knew him. So she would have been able to say, hey, that's her neighbor. So, but that never came out. Well, and let's also not forget that cool, Anthony Cool Breeze was found wearing a white t-shirt with blood on it. That's correct. And we cover it later on, but in later in the trial, it comes out that Rocky was not wearing that at the time. There are tons of people who saw him at the shot house. They saw him bring that VCR, which he openly admits to selling. He's wearing a brown mm-hmm. sweater. He's got a hat on. It's the complete opposite of everything they saw. We also see when we go through the court documents that the 911 call came in and less than two minutes later, the police were at the house. So whoever ran out, Mamie Dutton came out, they called 911, only had less than two minutes to get away. The killer would not have had time to change clothes, 
get the VCR, go to the shot house, and all this to play out under those circumstances. It just it just doesn't add up. And and when you when you look at the timeline from start to end, there is not enough time from the the attack, the nine one one call, to the police arriving at the scene, to the sale of the VCR at the shot house for anyone to change clothes. And Rocky, which we'll get into in a little bit, has a mental disability. And his reading level is at a third grade level. It's to the point where he doesn't know to change clothes. He had been wearing, he will wear an outfit, full outfit for three to four days before his brother or someone in his family is like, hey, go take a shower. That's correct. Go get dressed, go change clothes. Because it never just dawned on him that he needed to go take a bath. So he had been in these clothes for a good while. I mean, they weren't just freshly put on. Mm-hmm. So let's let's jump into the the trial. So you, we already know that he has, you know, the the clan lawyer representing him. He's got uh, eleven out of twelve white jurors, uh, and then he's ultimately convicted. But there was something interesting with this too: is that the the jury didn't want to give him the death penalty. Yeah, they didn't. This, this is. I I still to this day cannot fathom how this happened, but the jury goes into deliberation and some of the jurors say there's no quote unquote smoking gun here. We don't see any evidence. There's no DNA. There's another suspect that fits better. We don't feel good voting to convict him, but we know that we are up against people who this is this is what they want. There were some jurors, and if you listen to the podcast, we get into the jury selection and some of the potential bias there. But there were people who had their mind made up when they went into that jury room. And when they get there, there are some who are trying their best to say, look, we we can't convict on this. This is not enough. Knowing that their hands were tied, they said, you, we have a few options. We can give in and vote, say he's guilty. We can say he's not guilty, knowing that we will be the minority here. We can, you know, have a mistrial, risk going through all this again and get a whole jury that thinks he's guilty. Or we can convince the rest of the jurors to say he's guilty, but we don't want him to get the death penalty. And ultimately, that's, oh, oh, that's what they did. But before they even did that, before they made their decision, they're getting interrupted saying, it's Friday. Monday's a holiday. You need to hurry up because we want to go home. It was Martin they, Luther mm-hmm. King weekend. I think they get interrupted twice. Yes, they did. From If my memory serves me. That's so correct. So they're automatically feeling pressured. They're feeling rushed. They're being told that they need to hurry up. And they're essentially have this man's life in their hands. And they're being told to rush. Now, ultimately, luckily, they did manage to convince these other jurors, look, we will vote guilty if if when we get to the recommendation phase, we can all collectively say, this man doesn't need to die for this. And that that was their intent. So they they go, they they say, okay, again, Martin Luther King weekend, everybody's ready to go. We have a guilty verdict, but we the jury recommend life in prison. Well, six months go by. And when it comes time for sentencing, the judge 
essentially says, that's great and all, but I'm going to use a little thing called judicial override, and I'm going to sentence him to death anyway. And Which is illegal now. It is yeah. illegal now. In it Alabama. is actually yeah. unconstitutional, to be clear. Unconstitutional now. Uh, and that is how he was sentenced to death after six months of believing because the jury came out and said, hey, he's guilty, but we recommend life in prison. Six months thinking that's what's going to happen. And then they come back and, and the judge says, mm, sorry. You know, you'd be surprised. I, and there, there's more to this story as we get into the post-conviction phase. I don't want to give too much away because they can get the full story on, on your guys' show. But it's interesting you said that about Friday and the holiday weekend. I swear, I think every case that we've covered, on the, or most cases that we've covered on the show of wrongful convictions, wrongful convictions, the, the case that I'm about to start for our season 12, wrongful convictions happen on Fridays so often. And it's always, you know, days of, of deliberations and hung juries and, and the, the judge dynamiting the jury and telling them they can't go home, gets to be Friday, and they're like, all right, screw it. And then they, you know, the, the holdouts tend to cave. So. Yep. It's a tragic case. It's a super interesting case. Um, you guys have just scratched the surface of it. You've got a five-part series. That that series is called Road to Redemption on the podcast. Their names are Jen and Lindsay, and the podcast is called Corpus Delecti or Delecti, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Check it out. Could be your next big true crime binge. And the two of you, thank you so much for joining me. It's been great to me. And I, I see Jen looks like you're pointing at a child telling them to get out of your room. <laughs> That was definitely her pointing at a child. Trying to be sneaky. Can you just yell at him for us real no, quick before we no, go? No, no, no. Boarding school. <laughs> Pack it up. I'm going to use the gypsy. They, they're going to be sold to gypsies. It's fine until they, they learn to look stuff up. Thank you, ladies, for joining me. It's been great to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening, and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.